I have heard so many people use pussy as a synonym for weak. And to any male out there who wants to do that, I would like to challenge them to a genital kicking contest. I will kick you in the balls, you can kick me in the pussy, and we'll see. We'll see. Absolutely. (laughs) We'll see who's still standing at the end of it. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long. So last year, Matt Langston and I did a four-part series on the Nashville Statement, which was a long, convoluted fuck you to the LGBT community from the conservative church. Now, the organization that this statement came from is the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Did I get that right? I believe so. I think so, Okay, the Council for Biblical Womanhood and Manhood, Manhood and Womanhood. It, It covers wider topics of faith and gender, and it is especially, it's especially oppressive towards women. And so... Uh, We're going to do something similar in this episode, as we did in the Nashville Statement series. Danielle, say hello, Danielle. A genuine lady. A genuine lady. A real-life lady. (laughs) A real-life lady. Because we are sure as hell not going to have this conversation about women without one here. I appreciate that. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And then Donald Guffey. Hello. Who is a minister, uh, a Pentecostal minister, and a longtime feminist. All right, so we are just going to read through the C, uh, the, the, what's it? Hold on. I, I have it right here in front of me. Bi- uh, Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, vi- a Mission and Vision. Yeah. And we're just going to give our re- our thoughts our about response. it. We're going to give our response. And, um, we're, we're going to pick it apart, maybe have some fun, maybe get a bit angry. If Danielle screams, <laughs> I apologize in advance. We don't have the uh, No, the she doesn't scream. Shield. She doesn't scream. She roars. <laughs> like, she fucking roars. It sounds like a dinosaur in the kitchen. Oh, no. When she gets angry. When she's listening, <laughs> when she's listening to something on Fox News. Oh, no. Okay. Why do you do that to yourself? I, I don't. It's usually not Fox News. It's usually... Um, uh, you know, a podcast or somebody's posted something on Facebook or just just regular old news. John know? and I will be sitting in the bedroom just innocently minding our own business <laughs> and the house starts shaking from her roars of fury. See, here here we go. Here we can get into this right now. See, I was raised in an evangelical household. And as as a girl, I think especially, anger was just not an emotion that was allowed. Right. It was simply not allowed. Uh, and so for a long time, I think I, I lied to myself and said, well, you just don't get angry. Well... Now I do. <laughs> that, that is no <laughs> longer true. Kind of making true. up for lost time. That's a good thing. I think good it's to, good. Good to make up good. for lost time. Mm-hmm. The women in my family never got that memo. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the neighbors downstairs think that we're in like... Oh, gosh. ...an abusive relationship or something. Maybe. An but it's okay. polyamorous relationship. It's not, it's not yeah. their business anyway. No. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into the vision statement and mission statement for this organization. 
Mm-hmm. Now, Donald, can you give us some background on what this organization is and why it's important? Why is this not just a blip on our radar? Why should this organization matter to us as feminists and queer people? And Christians. And Christians. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, the CBMW was formed in direct protest to the organization I've been a longtime member of, Christians for Biblical Equality International. And uh, so the egalitarians got together first. So we're talking about two very different worldviews. And that's that's the first big point is that complementary, two big words, complementarianism mm. and mm-hmm. egalitarianism are not just two theological, minor theological differences. Mm-mm. No, they're they're fundamentally different worldviews. Yes. The worldviews are different because here's the thing. It centers around the book of Genesis. Were gender roles, established gender roles, a result of the fall, or were they established by God? When humankind first sinned, okay, so so theological overview here. If you are a Christian who believes in, you know, the, the biblical narrative cre- of creation, Adam and Eve in a garden, everything's perfect. Nobody has sinned yet. Um, the fall is when they ate the apple and sin entered the world. And uh, for a lot of people, before that, everything was perfect. After that, all the problems that we currently experience entered the world with that first sin. Hmm. The fall. Go on. <laughs> You know, who knows so who's listening. The, so. the idea of egalitarianism is that established gender roles are a result of the curse, where God said one of the results of sin entering the world, he said to, the, to Eve, you know, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Right. And that that was, of course, a result of the curse. Now, of course, we believe in redemption. So Jesus done away with the curse. Right. Okay, so what you're saying is that the egalitarian argument is that there is a quote-unquote natural order to the world, but that natural order is a fallen order. And that mm-hmm. the fallen order, the way things are naturally, maybe because of of human brokenness Mm -hmm. is that women submit to men. However, in the egalitarian vision, as we progress towards a... Towards redemption. As we progress Mm -hmm. towards redemption, as God draws all things to him or herself... As all creation Mm -hmm. is made new. As all creation Mm -hmm. is made new, then that submission will become equalized where men will submit to women and men and, and women, women will submit to will men, submit to men both under god both, both under, under god is that yeah. is that kind of what you're saying yes okay absolutely so the the big the big thing to center on for the discussion is that an egalitarian as an egalitarian i believe that gender roles as we know them today are a result of sin mhm mm, mhm now, a complementarian will say this is the natural order established by God. Right. Yeah. So women cannot preach. Women cannot be pastors. Women can, cannot perform the Eucharist. Women can just all of these prohibitions on what women can do mm-hmm. because that is how mm-hmm. God designed it. And that's on the ministerial level. On a more personal level, uh, women should... Oh, how, how is it put in my family? Uh, my dad had the final say. 
Like, my parents could discuss things, and he definitely, you know, heard what my mom he has, had like, to say. But he had veto. Like, he, in he the end... He has presidential veto. Mm-hmm, in the end, he was the one who ultimately would make the decision. And because my father is, you know, a good and kind man, I don't think he necessarily abused that power, but it was always understood that he had it. You know what I mean? Would you say that the very fact that he had the power, even though he never explicitly abused it, would you say that that was in and of itself an abuse? Systemically, sure. A systemic Mm -hmm. abuse, because there wasn't an imbalance of power. And so even while it didn't... Well, the funny part is the way it actually worked out is that most of the time he would say, go ask your mother. Like, most of the time my mom really did have you know in in the sort of you know everyday matters of life my mom really did have the say sure uh but again there was always this underlying kind of feeling that he gave it to her if that makes sense Mm. yeah that he was he was giving her permission to have it anyway Mm. that makes sense and that's an important Mm -hmm. point is that we have made in the egalitarian community is that oftentimes households that say that they are complementarian are actually functionally egalitarian. Yeah. Yes, I've Mm -hmm. noticed that too. Yeah, the way it works is that it works out as a partnership. If you're going to have a healthy marriage, you know, that's (laughs) probably wise. And, and, you know, what I've noted, we're kind of getting off off track here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to get to the statement soon. But what I've noticed is that a lot of the relationships that do try to explicitly hold to a complementarianism complementarian view not just in name but also in practice tend to be the ones that aren't healthy they Mm. tend to be the ones that kind of fall apart or there's a lot of strife and there's a lot of dissonance exactly and I do want to point out real quick, because these are some resources. Of course, there's cveinternational.com or .org, one of those. But there's a follow-up organization that deals with this, kind of what we're talking about. It's called POSH, Peace and Safety in the Christian Home. Nice. And it's they deal specifically with domestic violence issues within Christian households, which is just as common, unfortunately, in Christian households as it is non And a lot of it is correlated to a complementarian view where in some severe cases, pastors are telling women that they must submit to their abusive husbands. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And stay in that abusive relationship. Exactly. Because it is the will of God. And mm-hmm. and so this is really getting at why. Why this matters. Why this matters. Why organizations. Why matters so exactly. Why organizations like CBMW matter so much in that they are encouraging women to remain silent about abuse that they are experiencing. And, you know, at some point I really need to do an episode about the sex abuse scandal that is exploding in the Protestant world. The Catholic world has kind of gone through their circuit Mm -hmm. and is still going through their abuse scandal. But now, but over the past several years, the Protestant abuse scandal has really been exploding Mm -hmm. where Christians, especially from traditions that hold to this belief, are it's coming out that they are silencing victims. They are encouraging victims to remain in relationships that are abusive. So there's just a lot of mess here. So mm-hmm. that's why this is important. So let, how about if we go ahead and jump into the um, the statement itself, the, 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 mission, the, statement. the mission and mm-hmm. vision statement. Well, and to quickly tie it in, Stephen, to what you do mainly on this podcast for the LGBT community mm-hmm. is oppression is oppression. Exactly. And mm-hmm. 
it starts with, and I think it ultimately starts with the oppression of women. Absolutely. Yeah, but with people being, with people's lives being at stake, you know, women's lives are at stake, but it's it's in a lot of the same way that a fundamental view of the sinfulness of LGBT people is affecting, is not just a theological view, but it's having real life consequences to LGBT people in their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the something that I come back to all the time is that ideas are actually real and ideas actually have consequences. Ideas have lives of their own. If and you really believe it, if, if you, you really believe an idea, it's it, going to have consequences in your actual life. And it doesn't matter <laughs> how loving your intent is. It doesn't matter how loving and caring your intent is. If your idea is wrong, it's going to damage people. So let's go ahead and jump into this. The mission of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood is to set forth the teachings of the Bible about the complementary differences between men and women created equally in the image of God because these teachings are essential for obedience to Scripture and for the health of the family and the church. Respond. Well, the funny part is, well, and it's so funny, because if you left out the little bit about, you know, the teachings of the Bible, quote, about the complementary differences between men and women, I would actually agree with that statement. Um, Yes, I believe men and women are created equally equally in the image of God. Absolutely, me too. And that, uh, and that that's important because, you know, it, it has repercussions for the health of, of families and churches. <laughs> I, I think we simply, th- this organization and I, have opposite interpretations of the teachings of the Bible. And that's an important thing to highlight. I'm increasingly interested and, and kind, of, kind of astounded by the hard line, really hard line stances that certain Protestant uh, organizations are taking about their honestly their interpretation of biblical teachings because well um they're a product of the reformation <laughs> and uh, and the reformation kind of says that you know sola scriptura sola gratia sola fide the idea being that it's only scripture only grace only faith the idea being that the individual believer and the holy spirit work in concert to to interpret scripture there is no pope in in this you know right in this sort sort of and, church and all the stuff that they're discussing is not part it, of the any central council it's it's not creedal it's not creedal it, it doesn't have to do with you know the divinity of christ or or the 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 trinity or or you know really ultimately the salvation by grace idea like these these are not necessarily core christian tenets that that are being discussed but These organizations, these Protestant organizations, are insisting on their interpretation of biblical teaching. Again, very interesting to me. Just utterly fascinating that that, that these hard lines are being drawn. And one of the things that that really irks me, just from the get-go, is the, I cannot stand shut shut up statements mm-hmm. and by shut ups <laughs> or you could call this shut down uh, statement. yeah so from just from the very get-go well i mean i can give an example of a shut up statement one one statement i've heard bandied about quite a bit in the debate uh particularly about lgbtq issues is quote scripture is clear 
Yes. <laughs> Which essentially means it's obvious that scripture says what I interpret it to mean. Exactly. Obviously. And you're an idiot. <laughs> you're an idiot for not getting you're, it. You're an idiot if you mm-hmm. don't see it the yeah. way that I obviously see it. Mm-hmm. It says the mission is to set forth the teachings of the Bible. Yes. Stop. Yep. Full stop. So mm-hmm. we are, that's the shutdown statement. We right are the, the sole right arbiters of what the Bible is. Says, yeah, we are we've the, got so, the truth. At, now, if we want to give a little bit of a comparison to that, the CBE's, the Christian for Biblical Equality's mission statement starts this way. CBE is a nonprofit organization of Christian men and women who believe that the Bible, properly interpreted, teaches the fundamental equality of men and women of all of all ethnic groups, all economic classes, and all age groups based on the teachings of Scripture, such as Galatians 3.28. And that is the difference between fundamentalism and healthy religion, in my opinion. Exactly. Yeah. So -hmm. let's go on to the next paragraph, which is the vision. The vision of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood is to see the vast majority of evangelical homes, churches, academic institutions, and other ministries adopt the principles of the Danvers Statement as a part of their personal convictions and doctrinal confessions and apply them in consistent heartfelt practice. Okay, so I'm I'm assuming that the Danvers Statement is their statement of what? Is to gender what the Nashville Statement is to LGBTQ Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And by the way, for people listening who have no idea what we're talking about, because we are, we are mired in the, in the (laughs) Christianese swamp. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. Yeah. (laughs) This is, this is going to get plenty Christianese. This is going to get very Christianese. You're probably, if you, if you haven't been raised in this setting, you'll probably have no idea what we're talking about. Sorry. (laughs) And also definitely go back and listen to the Nashville Statement series with me and Matt, because that will provide some context. Well, and I mean, here's the fun part. Here's the fun thing about how they both kind of tie together the two podcast, the two episode series slash things is, you know, the person you did the the Nashville statement with actually encountered a statement very similar to this at their place of employment. Exactly. Mm hmm. That if he didn't sign, he gets let go, which he which is ultimately what happened. And they they've plainly said here that their vision is to to see this happen in churches and homes and institutions and yeah. Their yeah. wording is the vast majority of evangelical homes. Hmm. So they're they're I mean in in some ways. I mean, I can appreciate that. I want the vast majority of Christians to be affirming of LGBT people. Sure. And I I will fully Mm -hmm. admit that. Uh, You know, I'm going to, I own the fact that I think people who disagree with me are morally in error. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I do believe that when it comes to LGBT issues. And I do want the vast majority of all religion, all people, period, religious or non-religious, affirm uh, gay people. So in some ways, I respect that they're being so forthright about sure. this. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the honesty, if nothing else. Yeah. And if I may, because I, I kind of like this back and forth between the CBMW's mission and CBE's. I do, too. Definitely yeah. read yeah. it. Okay. So they didn't do a vision, but they've got a mission statement right before their core values. And it just, it simply says that CBE exists to promote biblical justice and community by educating Christians that the Bible calls women and men to share authority 
equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. For me, the key word there is educating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Educating versus demanding. Trying to take over the world. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The sense I get from your organization is that it is so much more open to conversation and so much more grace-filled. And they have convictions, but they are convictions kind of padded with grace and discussion and education. Well, here's here's the thing. Okay. So, both of these organizations are claiming to are claiming that they believe that they're interpreting scripture in in the best way. And ultimately, I mean, we all believe that. We all believe that we're right essentially. Absolutely. Uh if you if you hold an opinion very definitely, then you hopefully think it's the right one. I think part of the difference here, and I don't know if you've talked about this on the show before, we're going to go back to the good old Wesleyan quadrilateral. Oh, we talk about the Wesleyan quadrilateral so much. So the Wesleyan quadrilateral (laughs) involves scripture, it involves church tradition, but it also involves uh, reason and experience. I think in some ways, the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood has tradition on their side, sure, um, that scripture honestly, can be interpreted in a whole lot of ways. Absolutely. And that one of the ways that you have to sort of figure out whether the interpre- interpretation of Scripture you're going to follow is 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 right, is good, um, is by, yeah, looking to tradition, but also by looking to reason and experience. Um, and I think in some ways, the Center for Biblical Equality, I mean, I'm going to be biased and say they, they have reason more so on their side. Um, and that they have experience more so on their side. I mean, if, if if you're going to say that men and women are equally created in the image of God, but your ideas about complementarity lead to a woman staying in, abu- in an abusive relationship, then, I mean, experientially, I would say that the fruit of that idea is harmful. And it's contrary to reason. And contrary to reason. It's contrary to the will of God, which is, you know, for all men to enjoy him and to and to thrive. Men being men and women, mankind, humankind. And uh, yeah, that it's that it's contrary to that aim, to that goal. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't think I can emphasize enough that and the language in the CBMW statement really brings this forth and what we're about to go into really, really brings this forth is that CBE existed first. Now, I don't say that as a superiority thing, but CBMW, I say that to say this, CBMW is first and foremost a reactionary organization. And aren't so many of these things just reactionary? Seems like it. Yeah, aren't yeah. these aren't so many of these statements and fundamentalist organizations simply putting their heels in and responding to something else and getting into a siege mentality? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, I have to say it does my little holiness Pentecostal uh heart good to to hear a a former catholic and a presbyterian talking about wesley (laughs) (laughs) absolutely i love me some john wesley (laughs) i love john wesley now they get into what's at stake now this is where i think it's it gets really interesting so Mm. um yeah this (laughs) this is where i think we'll have a lot to discuss what's at stake 
With the mission and vision in mind, it is important for the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood to clearly state how it intends to help the church, and perhaps, and perhaps, and, and perhaps more importantly, why it needs to help the church. Okay, so how and why? How and why? In 1987. CBMW was established primarily to help the church defend against the accommodation of secular feminism. That's a direct dig to us. Okay, to the to the Center for Biblical Equality. All right. Well, feminism is of the devil. <laughs> At this time, many evangelicals were beginning to experiment with an ideology that would later become known as evangelical feminism. This was a significant departure from what the church had practiced from its beginning regarding the role of men and women in the home and local church. The effects of this departure have not been benign. As evangelical feminism continues to spread, the evangelical community needs to be aware that this debate. Reaches ultimately to the heart of the gospel. Okay, there's a, here's the thing. We agree with that. Okay, so <laughs> apart from the not being effects, not being benign part, I would love to know what they would say. Are those effects? I guess that's. I guess that's what we're about to find out. I guess the next. The next first point is the authority of scripture being at stake, and I think. Yeah. Okay. I think we're about to learn about those malignant effects. Right. Okay. Yeah. So,、mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is what we've been hearing for decades, which is that <laughs> if if women have the power to vote, if women have, have if women can own property or have rights over their children or have the right to divorce their husband or get a job or exactly yeah if, if women have any sovereignty on their own, then it's just going to it's fucking, all going to go to pot. It's going to fucking destroy humanity,、mm-hmm. and that's basically what I'm hearing here. Now, now we've already won, of course, those battles. Of women being able to vote in the West, at least. Yeah, I mean, and being able to vote, being able to own property. Exactly. Sort of very recently, testify in court. Yeah. Very、mm-hmm. recently, I might add, it isn't ancient history that、Mm-mm. that was won. But now, but now, it's almost like I'm seeing the exact same bullshit, but with smaller stuff, but no less important stuff. Yeah. Well, with with、uh, ministry things, with faith things, rather than with civic and, things and home things. Yes. What goes on in the home? Oh,、and、absolutely. That is very important.、Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Here's what's at stake. One, the authority of scripture is at stake. <laughs> no,、okay. no, honey, the authority of your interpretation of scripture is at stake.、Okay. That's that's、exactly. what's happening. The Bible clearly teaches that men clearly teaches. The Bible、mm-hmm. clearly teaches that men and women are equal in value and dignity and have distinct and complementary roles in the home and the church. If churches disregard these teachings and accommodate to the culture, then the members of those churches and subsequent generations will. Be less likely to submit to God's word and other difficult matters as well, like me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they accept、mm-hmm. people it's like a slippery slope, man. They accept if we let you. Women, if we let women have some power, those gays, they're gonna get in there. Uh huh. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Respond. Well, clearly teaches. That's definitely a definitely a shut up statement, which I'm not appreciating. Uh, that men and women are equal in value and dignity and have distinct and complementary roles in the home and the church. Of course, I agree that we are equal in value and dignity. But here's the thing.、Uh, okay, so the Bible clearly teaches that men and women are equal in value and dignity and have distinct and complementary roles in the home and the church. Okay.、Um, so. Yes, the Bible clearly teaches that we are equal in value and dignity. Here's the problem: if you give men all of the authority, 
and say that it is from God, then the value and dignity of women is threatened. I'm sorry, period, the end. Period, the As end. we have seen over and over and over again uh, experientially. Like, here's where experience comes in. If men are the only voices in power, if men are the only ones who are allowed to speak and allowed to teach and allowed to be, be vessels of the Spirit of God, then the value and dignity of women is threatened because that's just how it has worked for thousands of years. That's, <laughs> like, that's human nature. That's what happens. That's human nature. Yeah, if one group really truly has that kind of power over another, uh, it tends to corrode the behavior of that group. Power corrupts. And then there's the idea that the church, by disregarding, quote, complementary roles, i.e. these teachings, would be accommodating the culture. Here's, here's the thing. When Christ came to earth, his view of women was revolutionary. It was astounding. He had female disciples. He did not apparently name them apostles, but he had female disciples. He had Mary Magdalene. He had the other Mary. He had, <laughs> he had Mary, the sister of Lazarus. He had uh, Joanna. He had, you know, he had these female disciples who are named in the text. And I think what people miss sometimes is how revolutionary that was. Jesus came and, and oh my gosh, and the culture surrounding women at that time might actually have pleased complementarians very well. Women were, you know, they stayed at home. They were they were ascribed certain gender roles within Jewish society. And Jesus kind of blew those apart, like really kind of blew those apart. He wanted Mary to listen to his teachings. In fact, he chose who he first appeared to after his resurrection. And guess what? She was a woman. She was the first one to preach the gospel. Yes. Mary Magdalene, the first one to preach the gospel. And she was a woman. Jesus could have appeared to any one of the male disciples there, but he didn't. He chose to appear to Mary Magdalene. He chose to give her that good news. And then she went back and she told his apostles, he is risen. Absolutely. And, that, you know, like if we're going to talk about what what is, you know, the the teaching of scripture and, and what that actually is, the example of scripture, um, it is to bust apart a culture's roles for women. It is to bust apart the inequality in the roles of men and women in a culture. Um, in fact, people, people often look at Paul, for example, and say, oh, Paul told women to be silent in church and to be under the authority of their, listen to the teaching of their husbands. Well, you know, if you have if you have women who are who have not been educated by their culture, who maybe were illiterate or who were unfamiliar with some of these concepts and their husbands had been educated elsewhere, you know, it's hard to turn a church service into a question and answer session for people who, who don't quite aren't quite up to speed about what's going on. And if you have, you know, those questions flying, you're going to have a disrupted service. It's going to be chaos. It won't it won't be, you know, it won't be what it what it should be. But the fact that he tells them to ask their husbands about it at all is revolutionary. He's saying learn. Exactly. Don't just sit there and shut up. Learn about it. And and not because your husbands are better or the ones who should be, but because maybe they have been educated at a time when men would have been educated and women would not have been formally educated. Educated. Like this is these are all things that may look, you know, repressive or backward to us today, but are actually seriously revolutionary and progressive. I mean, like and and that's the thing. Let's let's get together. And I, I think I think that's that's the other difference that I see between Christians for Biblical Equality and the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And in I guess my own experience is that 
let's talk about this. I'm not ready to say, you know, that that someone else's view of this does not deserve to be heard or does not deserve to be in conversation with mine. You know, like, let's seriously, let's discuss these things because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going against the authority of scripture. And I think sometimes people who hold a more traditional view are are almost afraid to engage with people who hold a more progressive view because one of their main things is, oh no, the authority of scripture is being threatened. You don't believe in the authority of scripture. You don't believe in Christ as the son of God. You don't believe in these orthodox tenets of faith. And I'm like, no, actually I do. You can do both. And I think I think that freaks them out. It absolutely does. Because one of their things is to make people afraid. Yes. Yeah. And it's a total ignorance of church history. Just like what you said, a simple historical of what this culture was like. A little and bit of context. That's all I'm saying. The fact is that the church has always included women in, in one period or another. And honestly, the culture around the church ha- is the is the is the force that has squashed it. You know what I mean? Like culture in general, world cultures tend to be kind of misogynistic. Exactly. And and really the trend has been that the church has tried to include women, but then the church becomes institutionalized and and sort of a, a part of the larger culture and then women get squashed. And here's the thing that that kind of gets me. Now, a lot of evangelicals are really kind of reformed and calvinistic in their views, sure. right? Yeah. I mean, so, to a, to a degree, yeah. Yeah. So, but so the sovereignty of God is very important. Yes. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, you know, God is God and cannot be anything else but God. So, if the scriptures come from God, then their authority can't really be at stake by anything. I mean, there you go. I think they would say the obedience to the authority of Scripture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on. <laughs> the um, I mean, we can talk about this. Sorry, I've been preaching. No, it's good. Amen. <laughs> like, it's, yes, girl. It's, <laughs> yes, <sighs> preach. I love it. Okay. Um, mm. Now, this next point I find really, really interesting. Mm. Um and it's uh, the it says number two the health of the home is at stake and I find this interesting because okay I'm queer and I have a partner and so what that means is that if like if you do man and woman wrong in the home and that's gonna fuck things up then I like me and John we we're, we should you're just you're just screwed we <laughs> should be like meth addicts yeah we should be like the most we should un- have the most unhealthy relationship we should have ever. the most unhealthy relationship ever, mm-hmm. ever so let me go ahead and read this and it's quite the opposite i want to point out on this podcast well thank you i pre- i think so too but you know i think so too. <laughs> to to each their own if families do not structure their homes properly in disobedience to the teachings of ephesians 5 first peter 3 and colossians 3 then they will not have the proper foundation from which to withstand the temptations of the devil and the various onslaughts of the world this hinders the sanctification of married couples and also introduces confusion about basic parenting issues such as raising masculine sons and feminine daughters respond oh dear well, they have just hit every every fear-mongering word you can imagine in this one little paragraph. Masculine yeah. sons and feminine daughters. Temptations of the devil. Onslaughts of the world. Mm-hmm. Goodness gracious. Oh my goodness gracious. So basically everything that is me. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I guess pretty me too. much. Yeah. Well, let's let's see. Let's <laughs> let's unpack this a little bit. Temptations of the devil. Sure. I would love to know what temptations of the devil specifically they're talking about. I, I really would because honestly, from for, again from my experience, I've watched organizations such as this take a man's infidelity and blame it on his wife, for example. And so let's say a man is tempted by the devil to have an extramarital affair. Many times an organization such as this will bring it back on his wife and say that she did not submit enough or that she was not womanly enough. She got too fat. She didn't wear enough makeup. I've literally heard these Me things too. come out of people's mouths. Me too. And at some point we really need to actually go <sighs> we and need to actually go and find these, we these need to statements go and, find and read these them. Statements that we've because heard. Yes. it is so it's so maddening. I think it's hard yeah. for people to believe them mm-hmm. or to process them. But no, these are things that I have heard said. I have too. Um, so that's that's an example. So, I mean, to me, that reads like, oh, well, if, you know, if a dude doesn't have all the power in his home, then he's going to, you know, he's going to go astray if his wife isn't, you know, living up to this ideal of submission and quietness. And- or even worse, he could turn gay. Right? Even worse. Oh, my goodness. Ta-da! Ta-da. Um, <laughs> hinders the sanctification of married couples only in so far as trying to sub- constantly submit to someone is a sanctifying experience for, say, a woman. No, of course, discussing to consensus and and considering yourself equals under God is a sanctifying experience. Absolutely. Of course it is. All I'm hearing in this is, you know, men have always had the power and now we don't want to give up the power. Why should we give up the power? How dare you? Exactly. That's really all I hear in this. What's so problematic for me is this last part. Masculine sons and feminine daughters. First of all, how are you defining that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. How do you define that? Because here's the thing. Strength is not a not an exclusively masculine quality. Compassion is not an exclusively feminine quality. Speaking of which, let me go on a rant. <laughs> Proceed. Go for it. Have, Come on. To anyone who, who use feminine and weakness synonymous Mm. Have you ever fucking seen a vagina? (laughs) Have you seen what it can do? Have you seen what it can do? (laughs) Have you seen a woman give birth? I have actually. Have you? Okay, I haven't because I think I would faint because I don't think I'm strong enough. I don't. I think I would. I would cry. I would. I would be in the corner crying. Hmm? We have to show him a video of a live birth. We should. Oh God. We should indeed. So any time that I hear feminism or the feminine or or pussy or anything referencing Mm -hmm. weakness, I'm like, have Uh. you've clearly never met a woman. And if you have, you are clearly in fucking denial about what a woman (laughs) can do. Okay, so I've said this many times in private, but I'm going to go ahead and make it public. I really am on a podcast. I have heard so many people use pussy as a synonym for weak. And to any male out there who wants to do that, I would like to challenge them to a genital kicking contest. I will kick you in the balls. You can kick me in the pussy. And we'll see. We'll see. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll see who's still standing at the end of it. I mean, well, vaginas let, are fucking ironclad. <laughs> let's see a man try to birth a seven or eight pound baby right? out Got of their you. private cars. Anyway. If, if men had to give birth, if men had to go through periods, go through menstruation <laughs> oh, cycle, gosh, we had, even talked about that. We would go fucking extinct as a species. <laughs> <laughs> men would just be like, oh. nope. 
I'm done I'm with the surgery. Snip, snip. No more. <laughs> no more. I'm just going well, to I mean, let the species you, die. You guys remember just a couple of, uh, oh gosh, maybe a couple of years ago, they finally developed a birth control pill for men. And men complained up one side and down the other. It, it didn't make them feel good. It gave them acne, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and women are like, cry me a fucking river. Cry me a river. I mean, the main problem with that, I actually, actually read about that. The main problem with that is that men had a higher, much, much higher chance of fertility issues. And I think that was why they eventually like pulled it. But yes, also men complained about side effects that women have been dealing with since hormonal birth control became a thing. Jesus so. fucking Christ. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So who's the weak one here? I anyway. mean, you know, that's the thing. And, and by the I, I do need to clarify my statement. A woman is not just strong because of her vagina. No. But no. A vi- a, I, I'm using the vagina as, you know, a metaphor for her entire <laughs> character and being. Just some backstory for me. I grew up in a pretty conservative setting, but I grew up in a setting of female leaders. My sisters are ministers. My mother is a minister. And the community I grew up in was, for all of its problems, for all of the things that it gets wrong, especially on LGBT stuff and and, and with people of color and so on, for all the stuff that they get wrong, one of the things they get right is that there was actually a pretty close 50-50 split. And look what happened, Stephen. It turned you gay. And look what happened. Yes, Sorry, exactly. that was a joke! <laughs> and look what happened. There was actually a pretty 50-50 split between, ma- between male pastors and female pastors. And I think because of that experience growing up, being, being under the authority of female pastors who were just as capable uh, as men, I cannot comprehend I, this is something that I've always struggled with I remember even even being like a little boy and you know on the playground hearing people say the word pussy as a term for weakness and just not getting it just just being so confused by that like I've met your sisters they're super women like what the crap oh my god they could beat me up so <laughs> like they, they could beat the shit out of me <laughs> so this is some this is just something that I've never ever understood well and i think it's an app you know it's not just a christian thing it's an appalachian thing you know it's a cultural thing the women in my family are submissive is not a word you would use no i i do think that there's that so we are both scott irish scots irish Ah. we're both appalachian scots irish and you know i don't sound like it but i am that is my heritage and and so are you it comes through sometimes it comes through sometimes (laughs) i mean appalachian scots irish to be exact not just scotch irish but appalachian and and women are definitely uh, forced to be reckoned with. Made made of nails. <laughs> <laughs> they, hmm. The big example I always use is the women in my family always tended to mow the yard themselves because the men couldn't do it correctly. Exactly. Okay. So we have one more point, and then we might actually have to make this a two-parter. How does that sound? We can do that. I love it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So we have one more point here. For this episode, what is at stake? Number three, the health of the church is at stake. Just like the home, if the church disobeys the teachings of 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 11, and disregards the structure that God put into place for the community of faith from the beginning, then the church will be weakened. If the church is weakened in its convictions, it will 
it will be less effective in accomplishing its mission. Okay, so to do a direct contrast to that, let's do the let's do the first three core values of the CBE thing since we're doing since we've done the first three of CBMW. They're significantly shorter, by the way. So uh, number one, scripture is our authoritative guide for faith, life, and practice. Okay. Full stop. No mm-hmm. commentary. Yes. Number two, patriarchy or male dominance is not a biblical ideal, but a result of sin. Number three, patriarchy is an abuse of power, taking from females what God has given them, their dignity and freedom, their leadership, and often their very lives. Mm. And I need to read number four just for the sake of what we're talking about. While the Bible reflects patriarchal culture, the Bible does not teach patriarchy in human relationships. Preach again. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so let's talk about the health of the church for a minute. First of all, anybody that's ever grown up in church, like the three of us, the vast majority of people in the pews, have they had a penis or a vagina? Oh, most definitely a vagina, in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there's that. The fact that most of the men, the men that the CBMW are talking about it usually set their butts at home on a Sunday. But I can't imagine, it, it just, it makes no sense to me. And by the way, for the listeners who maybe are not Christian or, or Bible people, the, fir- the references they have here, First Timothy 2, of course, is I do not permit a woman to teach or mm-hmm. serve authority over men, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. First Corinthians is let your women keep silent in the church. And in all of these churches, though, do women sing in the choir? I mean, that's a question. Are there women on the worship team? Or do they teach Sunday school? They do, but here's the thing. In most complementarian churches, they're not allowed to teach Sunday school. Over 13. They can't, over teach, 13. They can't teach boys over 13. What? Yep. Was that your experience? No, but I, I know churches where this was what? the case. That's a thing. Why? Mm-hmm. Uh, because when they're a boy, it's okay for a woman to teach them. But when they become a man, But when they no become more. a man at the age of 13? Yep. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Fuck that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I, I don't mm-hmm. think I became a man until I was, like, 25. <laughs> That's just it. I'm sorry, but a 60-year-old woman and a 13-year-old boy? Really? Really? He's going to lead her? Really? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. The backwardness of it. Okay. The, the just, wow. Mm. I mean, what I just keep hearing, what I keep seeing over and over and over again is just this repetition of a of variations of the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. This is another variation of how women not submitting to men is going to destroy humanity. Well, and honestly, the the real argument I'm hearing here is a slippery slope argument. Like, I haven't actually heard any concrete ways in which... They seem they believe that women in authority will actually damage these institutions. That is a good point. I'm not hearing, you know, oh, because a woman, you know, is well, <laughs> except maybe if you're going to blame a woman for her husband's affair. Um, but I mean, if a woman is a pastor, I'm not hearing any concrete, you know, oh, she's going to be too overwhelmed by leadership and not, you know, I don't know. She's going to be on her period and preach badly. Like, I'm not hearing any concrete examples of how this is going to weaken those institutions. What I'm hearing is our interpretation of Scripture is the only one. Women should submit. And if you don't hold to that interpretation of Scripture, then what else will you believe? Like, there, you there know. There is kind of this divorce from, <laughs> yeah. from objective consequences. And 
And I think that this is actually something that is really dangerous, is when we start to divorce morality Mm -hmm. from tangible consequences, then I think that that really muddies our ability to determine what is right and wrong in general. If something has tangible, measurable, positive consequences in the world on families, for example, women being in leadership, for example, LGBT people being able to marry. If we then say, no, 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 those consequences don't actually matter. Mm-hmm. Well, then that muddies the water, that that disables us in other ways in determining what is right and wrong. We cannot therefore say it is wrong for a person to murder because then the negative consequences have no meaning either. If consequence is divorced from morality, then we are simply reliant on the arbitrary authority of a religious power to tell us what is right and wrong. Hmm. If we, if in other they, words, a pastor's interpretation, and I do say interpretation of scripture, becomes the only the only guide, and that's and not only the dangerous. only not only the only guide, but it says it doesn't matter what the consequences yeah. are. This is yeah. wrong. Then, Obey the authority without question. I am the authority. And and then what Raw. that means? What that means is we cannot say what is right and wrong that does not work if we do not have that authority to use the mind that god has given us to exercise that the reason and experience the reason and experience then if we can't do that then we can't look at drug addiction and say this is bad we can't look at murder and say this is bad based solely on the consequences in the world. And I think that this divorce of morality from consequence that the church plays all the time. Well, for a lot of people, it it would not, I don't think, trouble them to say that you can't look at the consequences of murder and call it wrong simply from that, because scripture calls it wrong. Exactly. And so you simply have to believe in scripture. Exactly. Um, the problem there is that time and again, we've seen, oh, it's wrong until I say it's not. Until, you know, until the the person in authority, you know, deems it right or wrong. And yeah, there's there's Mm -hmm. nothing more unstable than a concept unmoored from cause and effect. Mm. I mean, there's nothing more unstable and and prone to self-defeating permutations and mutations than a concept of the world that actually has no bearing on the world. Because here's the thing, if you're going to disregard consequences and view, say, a pastor's interpretation of scripture as as your only guide, what happens when that pastor abuses a child? Exactly. How do you then say, well, that was wrong. Well, pastor says it's okay. He says she was to blame. He says she should have been more something. She should have this. She should have that. How do you you fight that? Exactly. Well, and, you know, overall here with number with point number three, it would be different if we were still living in a time when most denominations did not ordain women or that LGBT people can't get married and adopt children. You know, but the fact is, is we is we now have quantifiable, measurable data. Yes. About what happens when women are pastors and about what happens. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. Well, and I mean, you know, a lot of people will use the LGBT argument as a slippery slope for women in ministry. However, you do still have denominations like the Foursquare Church, Mm -hmm. like 
the assemblies of God that are very, and the, the Pentecostal holiness church that are very much so still very conservative on that issue. On the LGBTQ but the issue. Pa- mm-hmm. But for the past hundred years has ordained women. And those are the ones that really fascinate me. Those are the ones that I go, Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. What are you thinking? Even going with like with like the uh, the going with the home with LGBT people adopting children, we've had that going on long enough now that some of these children are now grown, and you know they're not screwed up. Not by and large. I mean, of course, you'll find you can find you can cherry pick examples where a pair of adoptive LGBTQ parents were not optimal parents. You can find that in any group of parents. And also, guess what? What damages the children of LGBT parents even more Mm. is when they do not have the societal support to have a sustainable marriage. Yeah. And so you have families that you have kind of roving families or you have partnerships that aren't sustainable because they are in a setting that doesn't support them. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? That hurts children a hell of a lot more. Than having two parents of the same And do gender. we have data, exactly. Stephen? You probably would know this. Do we have data on the, like, the likelihood? Is a child that's raised by LGBT parents any more or less likely to end up being LGBT than a child of straight parents? I've read data that says, no, they are not more likely, but... I would have to. I would have to go Verify dig that data. I would have to go mm-hmm. back and dig that up and look at the most recent research. But I mean, I have an anecdotal story about. I mean, that. we have plenty yeah, of anecdotal, anecdotal stories. Anecdotal stuff. Yeah. My point in asking that is, they make statements like, and this gets me so much about fundamentalists and evangelicals and doomsday people, is we have quantifiable, measurable data to the contrary. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, I'm looking at the time here, and I need to run. This is going to turn into a two-parter. We're we're going to continue on this conversation. This is a lot of fun. We will cover the last three points of what is at stake when... Oh, and it only gets more fun from here. It only gets better from here. It only gets better from here. We're going to cover what's at stake, (laughs) how women having equal rights to men within religion and the home is going to destroy all of us. Remember... Global warming isn't going to kill us all. It's going to be the ladies. <laughs> all right. If you only knew. If, if all you global only knew. Warming is, all global warming oh. is is a planetary hot flash. Okay. Oh. <laughs> it's Mother Nature. Going through menopause. <laughs> going through menopause. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. If you enjoy this show, go ahead and go to sbradfordlong.com where you can read my dozens of articles. You can comment on the show there. I would love to hear from you if you have any thoughts or responses. If you are a woman and have your own experiences in the church, please share your story with us. We want to hear it. Also, I have one small request. If you enjoy what you're hearing, if you get value from this show, please just go to iTunes or wherever you listen and write a positive review. That will really help me reach a wider audience. The music is by The Jelly Rocks. The artwork is by Justin Caleb Bryant. And I will see you next week.